Welcome to the Gene Wolfe Literary Podcast by Clay Temple Media, where we discuss the work of the great science fiction writer Gene Wolfe, one story at a time. I'm Glenn McDormand. And I'm Brandon Buddha. This episode, we want to welcome you to the project and talk about how you can read along with us and join in the conversation. But we thought we'd start first by introducing Gene Wolfe to listeners who've come over from one of our other podcasts or are simply reading Wolfe for the first time. So I just called Gene Wolfe a sci-fi writer, but of course he labels himself a speculative fiction writer. Now he writes sci-fi, he can write some, some very hard sci-fi about science and about scientists doing sciencey things. There are a lot of robots in his stories, for example. He himself, as we'll talk about, is an engineer, but he also writes fantasy and he also writes a little bit of weird fiction. And I think what Wolf is most notable for is combining all of those elements together, kind of mixing and matching them. That's right. I mean, it's interesting you, you talk about him being a speculative fiction writer or calling himself speculative fiction. That term, speculative fiction, has come to dominate the space in which he writes. Everybody calls themselves speculative fiction um, in the, you know, in the section in Barnes and Noble where you can find Gene Wolfe, which is the sci-fi fantasy section, that term is just SF for most fans of those genres. And that SF no longer stands for sci-fi or science fiction fantasy. It stands for speculative fiction. And in particular, I think fans have, uh, have, have long labeled Wolfe's most famous work as a, as, a, as a work of science fantasy. That's right. Wolfe's most famous work is called The Solar Cycle, and it involves books that take place in the same universe, those spanning different time periods. The first is The Book of the New Sun, which is followed by a coda called Earth of the New Sun. What these books are characterized by is a far future universe, and yet everything is also very old. So you get the medieval fantasy sword and sandals stuff that is the hallmark of a lot of fantasy novels, but you're also dealing with robots. You're dealing with mad scientists. You're dealing with out-of-control gods. You're dealing with all a mixture of both science fiction and fantasy, and this is something that I think Wolf really pioneered. You know, one of the things that the solar cycle is known for, in addition to this science fantasy setting or these science fantasy settings, is also Wolf's masterful prose. Oh, that's uh, not to be forgotten. I'm going to share with you uh, the opening paragraph of Wolf's novella, The Fifth Head of Cerberus. When I was a boy, my brother David and I had to go to bed early, whether we were sleepy or not. In summer, particularly, bedtime often came before sunset. And because our dormitory was in the east wing of the house, with a broad window facing the central courtyard and thus looking west, the hard, pinkish light sometimes streamed in for hours while we lay staring out at my father's crippled monkey perched on a flaking parapet, or telling stories, one bed to another, with soundless gestures. I'm really glad you used that example, Glenn. That is the best argument for why anyone interested in literature should read Wolf. What Wolf is doing, particularly in this paragraph in the opening to The Fifth Head of Cerberus, which is a precursor to Book of the New Sun in a lot of ways, is carrying on the tradition, if you could call it that, uh, the literary tradition that Marcel Proust began in Remembrance of Things Past. That first book of Remembrance of Things Past is called Swan's Way, and it opens up with our narrator, who has to go to bed early. And there's about 50 pages of that opening that is super concerned about light in the bedroom of the narrator of that series. And Wolf is taking this beautiful stream of consciousness story, very much concerned about memory and psychology, and is rolling it into an incredible 
science fiction premise that takes place off planet where these kids are kind of in a world they don't quite understand and are learning about. And I'm very much looking forward to when we get to this story and can give it the real detailed treatment that it deserves. So I think next, Brandon, we should talk about some of the themes that we find in Wolf's work. And for me, one of the big themes that we find in Wolf's work is an emphasis on Wolf's Catholicism. And this is something that he's he's well known for. And this manifests in a number of ways. Uh, for one, Wolf writes a lot about issues of morality and ethics. Uh, for example, we have in our first batch of stories here, we have How the Whip Came Back, which deals with slavery as a moral issue. And in that story, in fact, one of the principal characters is the Pope. Wolf is also a huge fan of the pocketbook of saints, for, for lack of a better term. Many of his characters, if you want to unlock meaning in at least some of the names Wolf provides his characters, having this as a resource will only benefit you. Yes, and you bring up a great point, Brandon, that Wolf also, he loves having priest characters or saint characters, holy characters. The protagonist of the Book of the Long Sun, for example, the middle part of the solar cycle, is a priest. One more thing that Wolf does in this theme of Catholicism is ask a lot of questions about what humanity is, what it means to be human, what is our role in the universe, and also even what is our relationship with our creator, and what also is our role as creators ourselves. And we see these issues raised in a lot of ways. Wolf is a real master of, of coming at these themes in different ways. But one thing that Wolf really loves to do and is known for is working with robots or intelligent machines and, and posing the question of whether or not they are human. Another theme of his uh, that's related to this, to go the more gothic route, is experimental catastrophes run wild. And this is the story of Frankenstein. And Wolf does a lot, especially in Book of the New Sun, with godlike characters who are essentially Frankenstein monsters who view themselves as gods. Wolf is engaging in this tradition of romanticism that spawned this other literary tradition that is a combination of romanticism and modernity. And it's kind of given this terrible umbrella title of postmodernism. And all that means is the literary movement after modernity. And one of the hallmarks of postmodernism is this concept of the unreliable narrator. And that's just a fancy term for the move in literary tradition of the main character of a story from being a hero to merely a protagonist, merely being a point-of-view character. So when that move was made, it freed writers up to engage deeply into the psychology of their characters and how they experience the world, particularly their subjective experience, rather than looking at their experience as an objective experience, where they're trying to achieve some moral end. Rather, they are merely telling a story from their point of view. Yeah, and Wolf loves to use these unreliable narrators. And we get them in a variety of, of packages. We have the narrator of the Book of the New Sun claims to have an eidetic memory, but says two things that can't both be true. And we get we see this also in the what's what's known as the Soldier series where we have a character who suffers a brain injury that may mean that most of the things that he sees happening around him are actually hallucinations, but maybe they aren't. It's, it's this is one of the things that Wolf is inviting readers to determine for their for their own. We have in the book of the Short Sun and I'll make this my my last example. Uh we're actually not clear 
uh, that the narrator is who he says he is the whole way out, and neither is anyone else in the story. And uh, I want to share with you, actually, Brandon, the opening of On Blue's Waters, the first installment in the book of the short song. Ah, terrific. Reviewing what I wrote yesterday, I see that I have begun without plan or foresight, and in fact without the least notion of what I was trying to do, or why I was trying to do it. That is how I have begun everything in life. Perhaps I need to begin before I can think clearly about the task. The chief thing is to begin, after all. After which, the chief thing is to finish. I have finished worse than I began, for the most part. And so we see here, without really giving anything away, we see here right from the start that this, this is a narrator who doesn't even know why he's telling us the story, right? But he might figure it out along the way. But this is going to always have us calling into question the nature of the story and the reliability of his account, as we will see when we get there. Yeah, I cannot wait. That's a, a, also a hallmark of post-modernity as well, is that this idea of telling ourselves stories helps us to define our reality. And that is what's going on in a lot of Wolf's short fiction and longer form fiction, is his characters are trying to figure out just what the hell happened to them or what's even going on. And the readers are often left alone to interpret what Wolf is trying to do. Another hallmark of postmodernism is really a critique of our modern institutions. Wolf is very much also engaged in this as well. Yeah, we're going to see a lot of these critiques throughout. He is critical of all sorts of of governing or government institutions. He's critical of democracy. He's critical of capitalism. He's critical of the alternatives to these things as well. And he really, really asks us as readers to think hard about the way we live our lives and the way that our society functions. Yeah, it occurs to me to pitch Gene Wolfe or position him one way as Proust writing Vonnegut. <laughs> <laughs> so, Brandon, I think that's uh, quite a bit about Wolf's work, which we will have more of as it is the purview of this podcast. But let's talk about Gene Wolfe, the person, for a few moments. Wolf was born in 1931 in New York City, uh, but he grew up in Texas. Wolf served in the Army during the Korean War, after which he returned home to Texas and finished his college degree. As a profession, Wolf was a mechanical engineer, and he did this for a good part of his career. And one of the things Wolf did as a mechanical engineer was invent a piece of the equipment that makes Pringles. And that's, he, he <laughs> hilariously looks like the Pringles man. But then a little later on in his career, and I should note that he started really taking off as an author around the age of 40. And I think around this time, he transitions to being basically an editor of one of his trade of one of the trade journals in his field of mechanical engineering. Yeah, that was the journal Plant Engineering. And Wolf uses that as a joke in the title of one of his short story collections, which he calls Planet Engineering, but has the E in parentheses there. Oh, that's terrific. So I think it's time, Brandon, for us to talk a little bit about the Gene Wolfe Literary Podcast as a project and let listeners know what we're going to be doing. So first off, we're going to be reading Wolfe's work in chronological order, and we are going to cover all of the novels, but we're only going to cover about half of the stories because there are a lot of them. But we're going to count on listeners to help us decide which ones we cover, and uh, there'll be more on that in, in episode 10. Each episode, we're going to recap the story that we're covering, and then we're going to engage in a discussion of its thematic and narrative elements. And while you don't have to keep up with the stories in order to enjoy the podcast, we hope that many of you will read along with us and that you'll visit us on the forum at claytemplemedia.com to join in our conversation about these great works. 
We really do hope so. These stories absolutely deserve revisiting. So, Brandon, I think it's time to, to talk a little bit about what we love about Wolf and maybe our relationship with, with Gene Wolfe's work. And so, Brandon, I, I want to ask you, what is it that you love most about Gene Wolfe's work? One thing I love about Wolf is, is by the time I got around to really deeply engaging with him, I was reading a lot of other so-called great writers and classics. And I was absolutely astonished that this science fiction writer was writing on the same level. And, and we mentioned Proust before, but truly as Proust, Book of the New Sun is Proustian. It, it has all of the same elements of this great work of literature. And I know it's easy to feel intimidated by great works of literature, but the great thing about them is that once you dig into them, once you get into the rhythm of what the author is trying to do, a lot opens up to you, not only as a reader, but also as a human being. And I think what I love about Wolf and his project is to both engage people as readers and challenge them as readers and as human beings. And that is something I've really deeply come to love about Gene Wolf. Glenn, why don't you tell me what you love most about Gene Wolfe's work. I go to Wolfe principally for his world building. And what I love most about the way that Wolfe builds a world is that he uses small details mentioned casually to build up the structure of, of, his, of his fantastic or his speculative uh, settings. He doesn't ever really stop and tell us what the world what the worlds that he's building are like. He leaves it for us to figure it out for ourselves through a variety of clues and especially context clues. And for me, a lot of the fun is figuring out exactly how his worlds function and what's what's happening in between the lines of the text. And I just want to share one example from the text of, of what I love. And this is going to be a, an excerpt here from The Shadow of the Torturer, which, which is the first installment in The Book of the New Sun. Our necropolis is said to be the oldest in Nessus. That is certainly false, but the very existence of the error testifies to a real antiquity, though the autarchs were not buried there even when the citadel was their stronghold, and the great families, then as now, preferred to inter their long-limbed dead in vaults on their own estates. But the armigers and optimates of the city favored the highest slopes near the citadel wall. Now that is a beautiful passage, just gorgeous prose that we can appreciate all on its own just for the writing. But I want to zoom in here on Wolf's world building. And, and as a means of demonstrating what I'm talking about here, I want to do a close reading of this passage to see what we can learn about the fantasy world of the Book of the New Sun. Now, this passage is expositional from the point of view of the narrator, who is someone who works in the death industry. And as such, as he travels around his city, he views everything through that lens. And so we have here something of a discourse on the burial customs of his people. But in giving us this, he also tells us quite a bit more. We learn, and, and quite incidentally, that there is a class system that consists of the masses, a ruler called the autarch, a group of elites whom our narrator thinks of as the great families, and at least two groups of wealthy families who are not members of the great families whom the narrator calls armigers and optimates. And, and we can see here too, and really without any attention being called to it, that the autarch is something of a military leader. Since these rulers dwell in a stronghold, and one of their previous residences is called the Citadel, which sits atop the hill that stands at the center of the city. And finally, I want to point out here a fascinating detail to which Wolf calls absolutely no attention. A reader could just easily miss this detail. We learn that the members of the great families have unusually long limbs. 
Now, there's no explanation for this, and we are left with many questions. Is this the result of a restrictive gene pool among the upper classes? Are the great families some sort of non-human species? And are the autarchs included among the long-limbed? And we will get answers to those questions as the novel progresses, but not explicitly. And only through inference, only through close reading, and, and especially through rereading. And I love this. This type of writing, this type of storytelling, lets me use the tools of social and institutional history to discover this fantasy civilization in the same way that I do to understand the Mediterranean world of late antiquity for my day job. And this is hard work. It's, it's challenging work. And as Wolf himself writes, this turns off a great many readers. But for me, this is not a design flaw. It's a design feature. And this is the feature that keeps me coming back to Wolf again and again. It's incredible stuff. It's incredibly hard to do well. Gene Wolfe covers an enormous amount of ground in, in this paragraph. It's really worth calling attention to Wolfe's skill as a master of prose, that he's able to pack so much and tell us about the world in, in, in so little space compared to what's really popular uh, today. So, Glenn, I, I want to ask you, you and I are obviously both fans of fantasy. How did you first encounter Gene Wolfe? Yeah, so actually, I encountered Wolf uh, not when I was reading a lot of fantasy fiction, but in fact, when I was reading a lot of science fiction. I encountered Wolf while I was uh, serving in the army, and in that time and in my early 20s, I was very, very interested in questions about, uh, about what it means to be human and about the purpose of life and our relationship with, uh, with the cosmos, uh, perhaps with God, with other creatures. I wanted to know more about humanity's place in the universe, humanity's role in the universe. I was reading a lot of Jesuits in space stories. <laughs> that uh, is your favorite genre. As, <laughs> as, as, far, as much as I know you, that is one thing I know about you. And so I came to Wolf having discovered that he was a, a devoutly Catholic science fiction writer who wrote through that lens. And so I picked up Book of the New Sun, really in sort of my last, my last month in, in the army and just uh, devoured it and then got out of the army and continued on to college. And some of my favorite memories actually about my college years are those, those first few days of a summer break or a spring break when I can have a little bit of time to read some fiction. And I just vividly remember lying on my couch in my apartment in Chicago, reading the book of the long sun without stop. I just read the whole thing in about two days. I'm not sure I ate. Uh, and it was one of the best experiences of my life. That's incredible. That actually very nearly <laughs> mirrors my own experience with Wolf. So I had not read a lot of fantasy or science fiction or anything like that, even through most of the time that I was a soldier in my brief career as a soldier in the army. Uh, that is where you and I met for our little background history for our listeners. And you were one of the people who convinced me that there was some merit to genre fiction. I was uh, a bit of an uneducated barbarian at the time. <laughs> and I got really into fantasy really my last year in the army. And one of the things I picked up looking at the possibility of perhaps being an English teacher or having some career or profession in writing, I wanted to read the best of the best. And I had been doing that a little bit in my time in the army. And I can't recall if you introduced me to Wolf or if during one of my late night jaunts into Barnes & Noble as a result of our work schedule, I stumbled across him. But I carried him with me also through college and also read Gene Wolf during the summers. And it totally blew me away. Absolutely blew me away. 
So, Brandon, on that note, then, when I, what I really want to know is, what is it that you're most looking forward to covering on the podcast? I'm really excited to read some of Wolf's earlier fiction, particularly his short stories. I've not read a lot of them, and to be honest with you, what I had read before we began this podcast didn't impress me as much as his novels. I've been proven wrong time and again <laughs> since <laughs> we started this project, and I am really excited to experience the evolution of Wolf's technique as a writer, particularly with an eye towards his magnum opus, The Solar Cycle. And I, I his techniques that really resonate with me are really threefold. I love his ability to make strange, which is a technique often attributed to Jonathan Swift in Gulliver's Travels. Making strange is when a writer shows you something mundane or normal from a really radically different point of view in a way that forces you to reconsider what it even means for a thing to be normal. Another thing I'm really excited to look at Wolf's development as a writer is his use of inner subjectivity. And by that, I mean his characters interacting with one another, all having a unique point of view, many of which could be right, but also the way he engages the reader and poses them riddles to be solved and really is interested in the reader's ability to investigate and interrogate his writing. And finally, something that really surprised me about Wolf that I'm interested in looking at more deeply is his engaging with the tradition of existential experience, by which I mean how people create meaning in the world around them and their authentic experiences as a result. I've noticed this quite a lot in his earlier short stories, and this is a huge part of the solar cycle as well. Yeah, and it's it's really fantastic, I think, for us to be looking at these early stories and, and seeing how much of the things that we all know and love of the solar cycle and later works are here already. And I'm, I'm so excited to continue on this journey with you. And they're being worked out in really interesting ways that I think are going to surprise a lot of our listeners. Glenn, what are you looking forward to in this podcast? I'm going to cheat, Brandon. I'm going to give two answers. One, I'm look, so I'm looking forward to reading some of the works that I have read before and really exploring them deeply and systematically with you together on this podcast. And I'd say the one work that I'm most looking forward to covering there is Book of the Long Sun, which I don't know if listeners cannot tell is one of my favorite works of all time. It's both of our favorite Gene Wolfe books. And, and I think that's going to surprise a lot of listeners because Book of the New Sun is kind of the classic answer to what is Gene Wolfe's greatest series. You and I both really believe, I think, that it is the Long Sun series. Yeah, and I'm really looking forward to, to, to discussing that work with you. Yeah, and my second answer, Brandon, I think really echoes your answer, and that's this. I am very, very eager to get to Wolfe's first novel, Operation Ares. I've never read this novel. I have owned a copy of it for a long time. It accidentally got packed away when I was moving off to grad school, which meant that instead of reading Operation Ares, I just did a massive reread of The Solar Cycle, which of course is never a bad choice. Uh, but now it is unpacked back here in the Clay Temple Media Studios, and I am eager to get to it. This book was heavily edited against Wolf's will. He turned in a 100,000-word novel. What you and I are going to read, Brandon, is a 60,000-word novel, so almost 
half of what he wrote was taken from this, and this is a, one of the reasons it has gone out of print and, and that we've not read it before. And by all accounts, this is his most overtly political novel, which is, and I never actually thought, having a great familiarity with his middle period and his late period, I would never really have used the phrase overtly political with Gene Wolfe. But Brandon, you and I have already found that his earliest short stories deal with political issues, with ideological issues, uh, quite a bit that he's very critical of ideologies, of politics, of institutions. Uh, We find this in stories that we've read already, such as Paul's Treehouse, How the Whip Came Back, The Changeling, and even the story that is just about cars breeding, car sinister, has some of this in there. And I'm very, very enthusiastic about getting to see him do this in in a long form, in the long form of the novel. I would never think to point that out in any reading of the solar cycle, but reading his earlier works has really helped inform readings of his later works and more famous works. Yeah, and that, of course, is one of the reasons I'm so glad we're doing this uh, chronologically. And one more thing I want to say about Operation Aries is that the Hugo Award-nominated scholar of Gene Wolfe's work, Mark Aramini, is going to join us for our wrap-up conversation of that novel. And I don't know that any person on the planet has ever been more excited about anything than I am about that. That could go double for both of us. I am hugely excited for that. Well, Brandon, I don't want to stand in the way of listeners getting to the substance of the Gene Wolfe Literary Podcast. There's a real great story right after this episode. So I think that's going to do it for our discussion today. I'm Glenn McDorman. And I'm Brandon Buddha. We're glad you're here, and we look forward to hearing from you on our forum at claytemplemedia.com. Next time, we'll be covering Gene Wolfe's first published short story, Trip Trap, which you can find in the collection Stories from the Old Hotel. Until then, we greet you, and we say farewell. <laughs>